I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Blackest eyes, the devil's eyes, purely and simply evil. You're out of your mind, Wang. God bless you. <laughs> what do we do? Hello out there and welcome back to Precinct 13, a podcast about the movies, music, and mind of John Carpenter. My name is Nick Rocco Scalia, one of your two co-hosts, joined as always by your other co-host, Chris Oliphant. How's it going, Chris? Uh, it's going pretty well, Nick. How are you? I'm great. Summer is here and uh, and the world is getting back to normal. So <laughs> maybe in the immediate future, at some point, I can actually go back to the movies and... Uh, yeah, I've said my entire life, movies are my religion, so I feel for all those people who couldn't go to church the past year. I feel like I haven't been able to go to church in the past <laughs> year, but pretty soon, I, I actually don't even care what the movie is. Uh, I saw someone posted today, like, I'm not the hugest MCU guy, but one of the films that's going to be coming out is Black Widow, and it, it looks pretty cool. I saw the trailer for it, and I, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing it. I think it, before I had been interested in seeing it, and now I cannot wait. I'll probably go by myself on some rainy afternoon and check out Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. What are you looking forward to seeing in theaters now that theaters are somewhat back open again? Oh, I've actually already been to the theater. Oh, that's uh, that's right. You saw an awesome double bill. You just sent me that a couple weeks ago. Yes, I I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 in 35mm at a really cool uh, movie theater in Jacksonville called uh, Sunray Cinema. And that was awesome. And that's... It's the kind of uh, movie theater where you can, like, you know, order food and uh, alcoholic beverages and have them delivered, like, right to your seat, which is pretty cool. But obviously, seeing those movies in the 35 millimeter projection was super cool, man. It was so <laughs> grainy and, like, old school. I was just trying to think of uh, what food would go really well with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I'm trying to think what I had. I think I had like a grilled cheese sandwich or something. Oh, like I would have done a very, very bloody steak or a, a burger, like medium rare. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that was a trip, especially to watch those two movies back to back because they're so bizarrely different. But I, I, I'm not a huge uh, Chainsaw Massacre fan, but I do appreciate both of those movies. Um, and probably seeing them in that setting improved my appreciation for them a little bit more but um they're far from my my favorite horror movies i should also mention i did see just this weekend i saw the conjuring three the devil made me do it which was also very solid another solid installment in the uh, conjuring franchise i'm not going to say it's as good as the original or even the conjuring part two which was an extraordinarily well-made sequel in my opinion uh, but I enjoyed every minute of it, man. Ed and Lorraine Warren are still two of my favorite demon hunting uh, <laughs> folks, I guess. Yeah, 
I actually saw it too. I watched it at home though. It was oh, streaming did? on HBO Max and my wife really wanted to watch it. I was like, you know, we haven't seen The Conjuring 2. She's like, that's okay. I'm sure we can figure out what happened. And I was like, yeah, but I hear it's really, really good. Like everyone tells me that that is the best in the entire franchise. I know they did like spin-off films and there's like La Llorona and uh, The Nun and, and I saw a couple of the Annabelle movies, but um, mm-hmm. the one that I have not seen is The Conjuring 2. I wasn't as impressed with part three, although I thought it was kind of cool. It, it all takes place in Connecticut. So I guess that's a local legend here that I was not familiar with at all. But I'm sure it was better in a theater, and I I really I can't wait to get back out and go to the movies. I had my arm hairs up like almost the whole movie. Like I was like really, I don't know. I I think and part of that, Nick, this is exactly what we're talking about. I think part of it is just the excitement of being back in a theater again. Sure, it's like it just made me enjoy it more, you know? Well, so. and, and actually, I, a lot of the think pieces I've been reading, I, I guess I read more about movies than I see movies sometimes now, but I guess last week was uh, Quiet Place Part 2, another franchise that I'm not a, a huge fan of, but mm-hmm. just the idea that horror film last week, horror film this week, they both made a ton of money, they both were pretty well received. Uh, yep. it, it seems like genre cinema is really making a big comeback, so... Dude, uh, Spiral did pretty well. Spiral um, as well, yeah, which... I, I really want to see that. I think I'm going to like that one more than any of the others, but that probably says more about me than it does about the movies. Hey, uh, so what are we talking about tonight? We haven't gotten to this yet. <laughs> we could catch up all night. But um, so mm. we we are still in the process of going through the entire John Carpenter filmography. We just finished Ghosts of Mars, had a very <laughs> long, drawn out, I thought very fun discussion about that movie. I think we both just had a lot of fun with that movie. So mm-hmm. I'm glad we did it. The next thing up on the uh, the chronological list is one of my favorites, one that I've, I really have been wanting to talk about for a long time, which is Carpenter's Masters of Horror episode, the first one he did called Cigarette Burns. But we're going to save that for next week. We're hitting pause because we're talking about 2005 what is on the table for tonight well a couple of john carpenter films were remade in the year 2005 and for the first time ever and those films were assault on precinct 13 and the fog i guess if we were to truly be going chronologically we should have done assault on precinct 13 first because that did that was released first but who cares? I mean, The Fog, <laughs> I, I, I guess I wanted to do The Fog only because this one of the two critically is just one of the most hated movies of all time. So I not only wanted to view it because John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were producers on this one, but I wanted to see like if it was really as bad as everyone says it was. So The Fog would be, again, this is one of the first time that one of his films was ever remade. So we have to cover it. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting sort of period in movie history. I mean, I, I was writing about films at the time. I was writing up previews every week. And I remember at the time, there were a lot of remakes coming out. And, and they were mostly like this one. This is directed by Rupert Wainwright, who is known. Mm-hmm. We had to talk about his career. We'll get to that. Uh, but the, the horror film that he had done, the time he had worked in this genre before this, was the movie Stigmata from, I think, 1998, which I remember liking. I think I saw it back then. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a real 
slick, stylized, religious horror movie, Gabriel Burns, in it. And I don't remember it being too bad. I think Billy Corgan did the music for it or was mm-hmm. somehow involved in the soundtrack. I'm a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan, so I think that was a big selling point for me. But um, this, like, this period of years in here, you had this, like, PG-13 horror remake thing. So they did The Hitcher. They did When a Stranger Calls. Mm. They did this movie. Yes. So they took a lot of these, like, familiar kind of adult horror properties from the late 70s, early 80s, mid-80s, and they sort of remade them for for this teen horror audience that couldn't get into R-rated movies, but was, you know, this was the time of also, like, The Grudge, The Ring. They were doing remakes of Asian horror films as well. So it was kind of an interesting time to be a horror fan. I mean, people were complaining about it even then. Like, why are we releasing these weakened versions of movies that we are familiar with? And, and like, 25 years is not all that much for a remake, you know? Like, I feel like a lot of... I mean, I, I don't know. I, like, what was your experience with the original The Fog? Like, I, I didn't see it until way, way later in life. I saw it when we started doing this show. Um, I saw it once when we did the episode and once Halloween night a couple of months before that. But um, I remember growing up with a lot of kids who saw John Carpenter's The Fog from 1980. And it was like one of the first horror movies they saw. And like their parents showed it to them probably at a way too young age. And it really stuck with them. And I think there's definitely some moments in the original Fog that are pretty iconic. And uh, and it is mm-hmm. a real Carpenter cult classic. Did you have that experience? Did you see it at a, a you know, way too young, six, seven years old? No, it's uh, same with you, actually. I saw The Fog later on in life, I want to say. Uh, again, when my, my Carpenter obsession started at this point, which is like, I don't know, three years ago, was probably the first time I, I watched The Fog. And that's a movie, and I know we, we've already covered that movie, but um, you know I, I, I will never try to defend it as being a perfect movie, but I love that movie, just the tone and the atmosphere, and it's a movie, the music. Uh, it's a movie that I find myself enjoying each time, more and more the more I, I, I watch it. Yeah, it's real. It does a lot of things that I don't think we see in in a ton of other places in the Carpenter filmography. It's a little bit more classical. It really has sort of a gothic supernatural edge that is not something that he always does. And, you know, he's trying to tell kind of an old fashioned ghost story there. And I think by that metric, I think he really succeeded. And so it's, it's interesting always to see what somebody else's interpretation of that might be, because anytime a movie gets remade, you're handing off a property to another filmmaker who obviously has their own ideas like they they had to love the original or at least have some kind of appreciation for the original and usually they'll have a a unique take on it so sometimes it's just interesting to see what works and what doesn't what gets kept what gets thrown out and uh, and I think it'll just be an interesting we spent so much time talking about what Carpenter does and what his pet themes are and what his style is and things like that so uh, it'll be interesting to see whether this movie that has something like four percent on Rotten Tomatoes was it able to capture any of the the Carpenter magic that we've been so in love with for so long now yeah, and it's it basically, I mean, this movie, I wasn't even aware that it was ever really remade again until I started looking at Carpenter's. I don't remember this coming out in 2005. Oh, I definitely do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember writing up the preview for it and saying something like, is this a good idea? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I don't know. So this movie is absolutely just one of the most hated movies. It's It's difficult to find any kind of support for it really if you were to look at just for example like you're saying you know the rotten tomatoes score imdb um i think that happens sometimes too with these movies that 
are remakes of what are, you know, really precious properties to begin with. It's just like, I mean, I read somewhere that, you know, John Carpenter and, and Deborah Hill were interested in doing a remake to this movie. But when I read that, I think to myself, like, were they really, though? You know, or, or was or was it like, like, I don't think that John Carpenter is like, oh, man, I, I, you know, everyone's doing these remakes. We should take the fog and remake it. Because the one thing that I feel when I watch this movie the most is just why? Like, it's just completely <laughs> unnecessary. Like, why are we remaking this movie? What is the purpose? You know, like, is it? Um, because I I do appreciate some reboots. I don't think reboots are completely unnecessary. But if you're not like going for something to elevate the material at all or kind of refresh it, like what? Just what's the point? You know? I mean, yeah. And I think the answer to that question <laughs> way too often in Hollywood is money. Uh, they they definitely had some dollar signs in their eyes for a property that was familiar enough that that there would be an audience from back in the day that might go see a remake of it. And then, of course, again, I was talking before about these PG-13 horror remakes that are designed for that teenage audience, you know, and, and they obviously didn't have familiarity with it. Or maybe they caught it on TV or something like that. And like, so it's time to just make this for another generation. I mean, I think we're going to get into all of that stuff, and I'm interested. I mean, we've obviously we don't need to talk much about the story because it's very familiar. I mean, it, it's it's pretty faithful to the original, just in terms of the story that it's telling and the approach to it that it's taking. It doesn't go off and like transform it into a comedy or or some kind of like Lovecraftian cosmic horror movie. It is still a supernatural slasherish kind of thing. Uh, the setting is pretty much the same. I mean, shot in a different place. I think it was uh, by by 2005 it was much cheaper to shoot in Canada than it was to shoot in California. So this is mostly shot in Canada. There's a, a bunch of Canadian actors in it. But we'll get into all that. Before we do, though, Chris, uh, I asked you a question before. Since we are talking about something that is not original tonight, I thought we'd spend just a couple of minutes uh, on a question that just kind of occurred to me the other day. And I've really been thinking hard about this. I, I posed it to you before because I didn't want to just dump this on you uh, just completely unawares. But so now that we've talked about, what, 85% or so of the John Carpenter filmography, and I was thinking back to like how many remakes, reboots, uh, adaptations, things like that, that actually he's done. So, so many of the John Carpenter films that we love, so like The Thing is my favorite John Carpenter movie, which is a, a remake of a classic Hollywood film, a Howard Hawks film, and he's done kind of like soft remakes or sort of like loose remakes with Assault and Precinct 13, which is a, a take on Rio Bravo. Uh, he's adapted Stephen King, so he's made a lot of movies that were not original, but what do you think, Chris, is the most original thing? Like, what is the most uniquely John Carpenter? I, I think there's a lot of good answers for this, and I'm not sure that I have one singled out. I, I do have one, but I'm not sure if it's a good answer. But, you know, just in terms of, like, what what is the sort of distinctive original John Carpenter movie? Prince of Darkness. Interesting, because that was on my list, too. What do you think makes that one stand out so much? I mean, obviously, it's his screenplay. It's not based on anything. But um, what else do you think makes that like a true Carpenter original? Well, I think at that point in his career, you know, this is when he started his to get back to his sort of independent filmmaking roots coming off of Starman and Big Trouble in Little China. And I think he was just able to kind of 
flex his creative freedom a little bit more. And the I remember when you and I were just trying to explain like what the premise of the movie is. <laughs> it's so out there, and there's so many elements of that movie that I just find really interesting. And uh, dude, Liquid Satan. I mean, it's 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 sort of a unique. I mean, that movie has a really unique, uh, you know, theme to it. So when you had posed the question to me, that was the first one that that popped into my mind. So I'm just gonna roll with that. That's a great choice. I, I mean, yeah. Liquid Satan, the uh, the combination of science and religion. I, I don't think Hollywood movies like they always sort of lean in one direction. Like we were just talking about the new Conjuring, the devil made me do it, and that is such a religious horror movie. Like I almost felt like unlike the other Conjuring movies that I've seen, that one really does require you to buy into the sort of Catholic notion of good and evil and and God and the devil and all that. And it's you know even though it's sort of a court case sort of movie, it's it's in some sense a legal thriller it's mostly just a religious horror movie and most hollywood movie like they're one thing or the other so it's either strictly supernatural or strictly scientific and there's not a lot of crossover and yet prince of darkness is we're gonna just like take both of these things and peanut butter and chocolate them together and i, I love that about it uh the the device of the liquid satan as you were saying i think is truly original and just the setting like the church with this thing in the basement and these researchers like yeah i I think that's a really good answer i well i was gonna say they live too but then i remembered that that was like based off a comic book or something like that so yeah well there was a short story and it had been adapted before but i I, because that was the first one that i thought of actually was they live because i think the the political commentary of it and the subtext of it that's all carpenter right so i had seen movies like they live before but i don't think i had ever seen one that like so very aggressively kind of got its points across and, and sort of did what it did that critique of capital that that film does I mean it's certainly ballsy you know you could question how original it's kind of a body snatchers story really like a who can you trust and everybody's not who you think they are kind of movie we've definitely seen that but just the sort of uh, anti-consumerist sentiment in that movie that that puts it on the list as well any other thoughts um not really I mean what <laughs> uh, I, 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 it's because I think well, so many of his movies are are when you really dig deep into them, they're all v- very similar in a, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he has a lot of consistent uh, characteristics that he carries over into his movie. Like, I mean, Escape from New York, maybe. Well, that was what I was going to say because. Well, at first I thought Dark Star, but then I remembered that when they were making Dark Star, all the interviews I had read, that was kind of a take on 2001. Like, here's this very, very popular studio movie. It's kind of a subversive but big budget thing. And we're going to do our kind of like low rent college scrappy rebellious version of that, kind of a parody of that. So, um, like, I don't know that Dark Star would exist if Kubrick's 2001 didn't. But Escape from New York, yeah, I mean, because like the, the wall off New York as a prison. The Snake Plissken character is obviously a true original. And just sort of what that plot is. I mean, it's hard to look at Escape from New York as an original because so many movies ripped it off back then. And even now, they're still kind of doing that plot over and over. And it's, it's a prison movie, essentially. Just the prison is a city rather than a building. 
But I think at the time, like that must have really, really just sort of shocked people with what an interesting idea that is. You know, just the, the thought of New York City becoming that and uh, and a character having to fight his way out of that. Yeah. And then the action, it's kind of an interesting combination of comedy and action. I mean, it is in many ways a dark comedy, certainly not as much as the sequel. They, they pushed way farther in that direction for Escape from L.A. But if you look at that original movie, there are laughs in it, but they're a little bit subtler. And uh, and it is more of just a straight action chase movie with this amazing hero. And it's got a very distinctive visual look to it that I, I don't think really looks like anything else that I had seen from that era. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Escape from New York is a good choice there also. I agree. I guess Ghosts of Mars in some sense. I mean, it's <laughs> Ghosts of Mars is derivative of a lot of things, as we talked about, but also, I don't know, it, it, it smashes things together in sort of an interesting... I mean, it's not to say, and, and when I pose this question to you via text, like, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is his best movie, whatever we decide, and I don't think either Escape from New York or Prince of Darkness is his best movie, but, I mean, they're... It's like, which one is, is just totally unique and totally stands out from all the rest because it doesn't take its cues from anything else. And I do think those two really kind of fall into that space. I I agree as well. I mean, what about Memoirs of an Invisible Man, though, Nick? <laughs> yeah, they had never made an Invisible Man movie before, right? <laughs> that was the first time. <laughs> oh, uh, I God. mean, it, and... and Again, not sort of saying that there's anything wrong with that, right? I mean, look at uh, one of my favorite filmmakers is Quentin Tarantino, and he just borrows from everywhere. You know, I think some of the best filmmakers that have ever lived, John Carpenter being one of them, you know, they're constantly taking inspiration from all these influences, and they're so film literate that everything they do kind of links back to something else, and it's just sort of fun to watch, like an Inglorious Bastards, for example, and, oh, that's a shot from this Sergio Leone movie, and that's a shot from, I mean... Just his uh, some of the like I, I studied German film for a semester and some of the stuff like about pre-war German cinema that's in that movie is like, wow, like it's cool that he's even talking about that. So, you know, originality isn't the be all and end all. But I just thought since we're talking about a movie that is not original at all tonight, it'd be interesting to to go back and, and think about which ones uh, maybe might be. And Cigarette Burns certainly also, but we will get to that in due time. That may be a six or seven hour episode because I really, really, it's only about 50 minutes long, but I, I got a lot to say about that one. I don't know, with, with that out of the way, should we get to the fog? Let's get to the fog. To Antonio Bay, we are Antonio Island, uh, but, but it's still called Antonio Bay. I'm not really sure, but we'll be right back to get into the 2005 remake of John Carpenter's The Fog. What's happening? They killed him. The fog killed him. Get off the island. Why? Just go. Somebody out here? We are back talking about 2005's The Fog, of course, a remake of John Carpenter's 1980 original. As we said before, kind of a cult classic, a, a much-loved favorite in the Carpenter filmography that uh, I think has stood the test of time because I just saw it within the last two years, and, and I thought it was pretty good. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's a movie that 
made money at the time. It's a, a follow-up to Halloween that was not quite as successful uh, as Halloween for John Carpenter, but a movie that definitely left an impression and graced many a video store shelf in the 1980s. And I remember seeing the box for this one and thinking, that movie looks cool, I should watch that. And turns out I was in my 30s before I ever did. But um, So this is a film directed, again, by Rupert Wainwright, written by a guy named uh, Cooper Lane, who has only one other writing credit for a movie called The Core, which I do remember that coming out also. I've never seen that one. And uh, Chris, as you were saying before, this was not a very well-received movie, did not screen for critics. This was the era when you could tell a movie wasn't going to be good, where if you got onto Rotten Tomatoes on a Thursday night and it was coming out that Friday and there were no reviews yet, then you knew something went wrong there and the studio did not want to show this to anyone ahead of time. So those uh, critics scored maybe... I feel like there was a lot of critical resentment toward that. So when they actually did see these movies, like on Friday morning, the day they released, they were already kind of going into it with uh, a bad attitude because it's like, I should have been able to see this movie two weeks ago. I don't know if that's true, but uh, maybe these movies are just bad and they're just being honest. But So you saw this movie before I did. Let's go back. And um, what made you pick this one up? And uh, like you were saying before, you just wanted to see if it was as bad as everybody made it out to be. Uh, that and my girlfriend was, had seen it and was, and was actually like, you know, not, not saying that she loved it, but was saying <laughs> it's a lot better than, you know, people give it credit for. I'm impressed so, that she remembered it, to be honest. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, like, I can't believe this movie made $46 million, like in the worldwide box office. That's crazy on an $18 million budget. Like, I mean... So it wasn't I mean think about it like it made way more money than Ghosts of Mars you know <laughs> it like, did. How, how's that possible but um that is the reason why so I was kind of I was really uninterested in watching it because I think that there was a time where I tried watching it and when it got to the scene where they're on the boat like having a party with the girls in the bikinis and he's like videotaping them. I was just like, <laughs> what am I watching right now? Like the tone was just so off that I couldn't get through it. But uh, I will, I will sort of put my cards on the table here. Like, I don't know if I'll ever watch this movie again. Probably not. <laughs> um, but I don't, I really don't think it's as bad as, as you know, Deser- it's it's not as deserving of the hatred it gets, I guess. Like, I've seen way worse, you know? I think I agree with that. I mean, I, I didn't like it. I probably will never watch it again either. But it's not a poorly made movie. I mean, it, it it's competent. It's professional. I think you hit the nail on the head before when we just started kicking off this discussion. And you said you didn't understand why this existed. And... And I said the reason why it exists is is for monetary reasons. And I think that's my biggest problem with it. Like, this feels just very soulless to me. Like, it looks good. I think the cinematography is great. Uh, You know, it's, it's not as good as what we see in the original, obviously. It doesn't have that atmosphere and it doesn't have that sort of stylistic flair to it. But it's a good looking movie. And, uh, you know, it's like, 
I think $18 million, as you're saying, was the budget. I mean, it looks every bit of that. I and mean, the special effects are pretty good. The visuals are pretty good. Certainly, um, you know, there's a lot of CGI in it, but it didn't bother me. Um, I, I thought it all mm-hmm. kind of stood up pretty well. And as much as I like the, the fog effects in the original movie, there were a couple of scenes here where they were able to just go bigger and more elaborate with them, which is kind of interesting to see. But to me, it just felt like it never justified its existence. So we were talking about remakes before, and and one of the ones that kind of really was on my mind when I was it was two of them, actually. So right around this time, roughly around this time, I'm not sure when exactly these came out, so um, I think they were both later. But you had Zack Snyder made Dawn of the Dead, which was... You know, I, I, when I saw that that movie was being remade, a, a George Romero film that I love so much, I was like, how dare they? And then you see Zack Snyder's version of it, and it's a completely different movie. Like, it basically takes the idea of survivors fighting off zombies in a shopping mall and kind of goes in a completely different direction with it. And, you know, the, I guess the big thing that people remember is that Snyder's zombies move really fast, Romero's zombies move really slow. But even that, I mean, that changes kind of the whole dynamic of the movie so that movie justified its existence like you you would see his dawn of the dead and want to see the original knowing that the original was so different right and the other one that really was on my mind was rob zombies halloween because that love it or hate it right and and i'm kind of in between i i like certain things about it i like uh rob zombie as a filmmaker but i wouldn't call that a great movie either but he kind of took some ideas from Carpenter's original and kind of did a a whole different story. I mean, he focused on something that basically gets glossed over in Carpenter's movie, which is the upbringing of Michael Myers and makes that kind of the central focus. And it doesn't turn into the slasher movie that we want it to be until something like halfway through. And it's all kind of like shot through with this crazy, you know, white trash horror sleaze Rob Zombie style that he's so familiar for and, and famous for so whether you like that movie or not I understand why that movie exists and sort of what it was trying to do and like Rob Zombie wasn't trying to just do a carbon copy of John Carpenter's Halloween he loves that movie and and has sort of gone on record talking about how much he loves that movie as a huge like formative influence on him but he wanted to put his own spin on it and I do not see anyone's spin on The Fog in 2005's The Fog like it, it just feels like Everyone watched the original. They took notes like, all right, here's a character we have to have. Here's a scene we got to do. And then the whole movie is just like, check this box, check that box, check this box. Like, I never see anything in this that's better than the original. Just some things that are bigger and a few things that are kind of slightly different. But all of that said, it's not the worst. I've seen worse horror movies like recently so i'm not going to say that it's it's just a complete pile of dog shit it would probably be more fun if it was right like if this was just like very incompetently made then i think maybe you could have more fun with it than this sort of just very bland professional competent hollywood's a very studio looking movie and studio feeling movie there's pop music and like i'm a big fallout boy fan i'm probably the oldest fallout boy <laughs> fan and when i heard sugar were going down like within the first three minutes of this movie starting, I'm like, no, Fallout Boy doesn't belong in the fog. Yeah, and the hu- the the humor doesn't work here either. There's scenes where they're trying to be funny, and it's just 
not. You know, <laughs> Chris, I, I'm not even sure if I know what you're talking about. That's how unfunny it was. Yeah, and what's up with the the uh, the sweater this dude's wearing? Like the whole movie. Well, he's a, a charter boat captain, so you know, it's. Uh, I guess they think that's what fishermen wear just all the time. It's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> we, 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 I, I do appreciate like some of the name play here. You know, Tom Welling as Nick Castle. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that's pretty cool. But yeah, you're watching it and you're even, even seeing like Selma Blair, you know, she's playing Stevie Wayne and you're just thinking like, I can't picture anyone else but Adrian Barbeau playing that character. And yeah, I, well, I, well, go ahead. Sorry. I, I want to talk a little bit about Selma Blair. I love Selma Blair. Well, once it starts, like, you know, th- even the music here, like cause I, I, I adore the score for the original Fog movie so much. But, um, you know, as soon as the opening scene happens, which actually isn't a bad opening scene either of, of the ship, you know, in flames and everything. But the music comes in and it's all orchestrated and stuff like that and and I'm immediately just taken out of it because I'm like I don't know it's what am I watching here like a Pirates of the Caribbean movie or something (laughs) like it just you know what I mean like the music it just didn't and and the music's not bad throughout all of it some of it fits some of it's uh, you know trying to kind of imitate what what Carpenter did but this this movie has a huge problem with tone and I think more importantly for a horror movie it's just not scary like, no, there's nothing scary in it at all. <laughs> no, and and that's the thing, right? Like one of the things about the original The Fire, as you said, it's not a perfect movie. It's not one of Carpenter's like very very best, but it does have these scary moments, and it does have these kind of iconic scenes. You know, I, I think about the climax in the church in in the fog, for example, and the way that these figures sort of rise up out of the fog, and it is very gothic, and I don't know, it's like it seems like so much thought and care and craft was put into stuff like that and this movie is like it kind of restages that in the most boring way possible and yeah like there's nothing serious. there's a couple of like really minor jump scares there's a couple of scenes that are kind of direct copies of things in the original that just don't hit as hard as all like the the morgue scene right so um it's a different character this time around but when the body rises up off the slab in the morgue like in the original movie it's terrifying and and of course you got the great darwin jost in there and he it's it's Maggie Grace's character and the guy kind of like runs up to her and talks to her he, he says uh blood for blood or something like that. that's the uh the ghost the ghost catchphrase in this movie um which is not in the original right I don't believe so I don't think so I don't think anybody says blood for blood there I don't know it just feels like a very tame 2005 PG-13 horror scare where Carpenter felt I mean it's not that it needed to be bloodier I feel like I mean it's could have been certainly but like Carpenter did not want the original to have a lot of graphic violence in it and the studio basically insisted that he go back and shoot some more like there's a lot of impalings in the original The Fog that are pretty graphic and pretty gruesome and I think it was just to sort of compete with the Friday the 13th of the day like we were talking about this when we it was months ago years ago at this point when we talked about that movie but like he was trying to do something a little bit classier than that and was kind of forced to make it a little bit more gruesome gritty and guttural and, uh, and and sort of sleazy in some sense. But this one, it's like, it doesn't have the scare factor either. So not only are the kills really muted and kind of tame, but even the jump scares don't feel particularly, I don't know, creepy. I mean, there's a lot of like 
shock cuts and there's a lot of, uh, you know, music stings that are supposed to get you pumped up. And I don't feel like they ever really do. And even, I mean, I was trying to put myself in the mindset of like a 13 year old who had never seen the fog. And even then, I, I don't think I would have been particularly scared by this. I totally agree. Can I ask, Chris? So I, I watched this. I rented it on YouTube, and it was definitely the PG-13 version that runs 100 minutes. There is a longer cut. There's an unrated 103-minute cut. Have you seen that, or did you watch the original, the theatrical cut as well? I watched the theatrical cut. Okay, because I'd be interested to know, right? I mean, it, I could see a couple of scenes where it seemed like they cut away awfully fast from things that might have been too graphic to show in a PG-13 movie, and I would have liked to have seen what they had done with it. Yeah, and you know, you're so right in your description of like checking off the box. Like there's just so many things where it's it's again, I feel like it was just an unnecessary like duplication of efforts, you know? It's like why are again, why are we doing this? It's just my only question. And uh, if, I, if I know our buddy John there, it it probably had something to do with getting a paycheck for it cuz uh <laughs> you know, I mean, at this point, right? He hadn't made a movie for a couple years. He's got, you know, People knocking on his door saying, who did this? Uh, what what company made this movie here? They probably gave him a decent... Uh, yeah, Sony Pictures distributed it. Columbia Pictures uh, was the production company. I mean, this was a, this was a wide release, right? I yeah, mean, oh yeah, this is a big studio movie. It was number one the first week it was out and then quickly kind of dropped, like horror movies often do and still do. They, they don't usually make a lot of money the second week. They kind of really kill it the first week out. But yeah, I mean, it had to be something like that. Like the first trivia item on IMDb here is, I, I love this, by the way. I mean, it's a great quote. So it says, uh, though credited as producer, John Carpenter described his involvement thusly. I come in and say hello to everybody. Go home. So like, and, and you can sort of take that in a number of ways, right? Like you can look at that, like, yeah, he's just cashing a check here. But on the other hand, I mean, you're John Carpenter. You're very well respected as a genre filmmaker. You already have this cult fan base by 2005. So maybe the other part of it, I mean, if you want to be really charitable, maybe he just didn't want to be on set because that probably would have freaked everybody out. You know, like they knew they were doing something like, like remaking something that was very important to a lot of people and a movie that a lot of people really love and, and really remember fondly. So if John Carpenter was sort of lurking about the sets and, you know, maybe saying like, oh, I, I wouldn't do this that way. Like, I guess you probably wouldn't want that either, right? Like, then you're never going to get any kind of original vision. I mean, not that you do, but I think it would have been harder. Like, I would be intimidated by John Carpenter, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Like, I would have a tough time just talking to him on this show, never mind directing a remake of a movie that's, like, one of his most fondly remembered movies. Yeah, yeah. Hey, John, what'd you think of that take we just did? Oh, <laughs> it, was, it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> yeah, because that's what it'd be, too. He wouldn't say it sucked. He would just kind of, like, eh, it, it's good. Whatever. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, the director here, Rupert Wainwright, what an interesting beginning to his career directing music videos for... NWA and MC Hammer. Yeah. Well, especially the NWA things, right? Like I I've seen all those videos and the thought that like a an erudite British man directed like NWA music videos <laughs> is I mean, you would have never thought that, right? 
Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, he's worked with. Um, I don't know that he directly worked with Michael Jackson, but he's made Michael Jackson videos, and he's made NWA and, and and like all of the MC Hammer stuff when MC Hammer was the biggest thing in the world in the early '90s. So, kind of came up through music videos and commercials, got the feature career that a lot of people who do that kind of aspire to, and this movie killed that. So it it was so unsuccessful that he's never made another theatrical studio film. Yeah, I noticed that. Is it the career-ending remake? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> that doesn't really speak well to this movie at all. No, it doesn't. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I, I even want to mention. I mean, yeah, they keep pretty much everything. Um... They they make some interesting and sort of subtle, but like not very good changes to the story, right? So um, I think... Well, I, I don't know. Like, what are some of the big differences that you saw? Because there's not a lot, but there's a few. Well, I think just, like, the time that it's made. Like, because it's a modern movie. It's not remade to be in 1980 or whenever the original one was. Like, for example, when it shows the character who's the, the weather forecaster who, you know, he's sitting in his tower or whatever and like you just look at all the computer screens and radars and technology in there and stuff like that and it just seemed weird you know because the 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 first movie is so low tech and and so old school so that kind of struck me why can't i think of the guy's name he's he's um he plays uh bracket in the Halloween movies. Charles Cyphers. Yes, Charles Cyphers. Yeah, he was really funny in, in that original Fog movie when he's he's always flirting with uh, Adrian Barbeau's character, and they totally copy that in, in this movie as well. Yeah, just to, we'll... to diminishing returns, right, to lesser effect. Like, when Charles Cyphers is sort of lusting over Adrian Barbeau over the phone, I really believe it. This sort of relationship here or whatever it is, like, I don't buy it. He gets her a webcam. Uh, the Stevie Wayne here is played by Selma Blair, and that's kind of his thing, so he can look at her, and she says something like, yeah, is this for you or is this for me? Which I guess in 2005, that was kind of a big deal. Uh, to have like a, a Zoom call going. But yeah, there's uh, like that flirtatious relationship and the way she kind of strings him along. That's all here, but like I don't feel it from either. There is zero chemistry between anybody in this movie, particularly the two main characters. I think they are like as bland as a, a cheese sandwich and it really yep. sort of hurts this. I mean, you've got that like generationally odd relationship between old Tom Atkins and young Jamie Lee Curtis in the original movie and it works. It's really fun. Like I do kind of feel the spark between them, even though it's a little creepy that he's so much older than her. And in this movie, you've got young, fresh faced, beautiful actors and they don't seem to have any sort of chemistry at all. I know he's like, oh, you're home. Good. So uh, you're thinking of staying around? (laughs) Oh, the dialogue is terrible. Like, if I had to pick one thing that's really bad, uh, the script is just, 
I mean, I, I think every line could have used some punch up because they say the most obvious expository things every chance they get. And uh, so it, it's two TV stars, right? You got Tom Welling, who played Superman or Clark Kent on Smallville, which I didn't watch, but I heard was very good. And I heard he was very good in it. Uh, and Maggie Grace, who I did watch on Lost. And I remember liking her on that show. So uh, I don't know why she's kind of not into this movie. Like, it seems like she didn't want to be there at all. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's that scene where she goes home to uh, her her house and her mother's there, <laughs> and she's just like, "Hi," and she's like, "Oh, what a surprise!" Oh, well, there's so much aren't awkward you ha- laughter like, in that scene. <laughs> yeah, like, aren't you happy to see me? Like, uh, no, uh, I'm not. This isn't a hotel or something. And then she just storms out of the house, and I'm like. What was that all about? Go like, back just... and watch that scene. Literally every line that both of those actresses deliver, there's like an awkward laugh in it, and it doesn't work at all. And yeah, it's like, you know, they had to have that scene to set up the contentious relationship between this character and her mother, which is in the original movie. But in the, well, the mother character is in the original movie. I mean, there, there's tension. I mean, all of the stuff about the town founders and this uh, celebration they're going to have and the dedication, the statue and all that, it's all here. But it's like you don't care about any of it. Like everything is just sort of, yeah, this this thing, then this thing, then this thing. And in the original movie, I feel like Carpenter does such a great job setting up this town and who all these characters are. It's it's an ensemble piece, right? Like it's uh it's all these different characters. We get to know basically the whole town of Antonio Bay, and we give a shit about them. We like a lot of them, and and the ones that we don't like, they're interesting. And here it's just like, you know, characters show up, they say a couple of lines, they go like Father Malone. I think is the biggest casualty here because he's such a major character played by Hal Holbrook in the original movie. And, and here he just like, I mean, does he register at all? He's like kind of the center. He's like the moral center of the first movie. And here he's just sort of another character that we don't really care about. Yeah. He's hardly in it at all. And he's like insane right off the bat. Yeah. Well, right. It's, it's not like, I mean, he's in the original movie, he's an alcoholic, right? Father Malone has a drinking problem and and Hal Holbrook, I think, plays it very sensitively. And and it's not that sort of movie drunk, but it's uh, it it feels pretty believable. Whereas in this movie, it's just like he shows up, he says some prophetic thing, but he slurs his words and seems kind of drunk. Like he was kind of the he's not exactly the protagonist in the first movie, but he's such an important part of it. And his story and his connection to the story is such a big deal. And here it's just like, Oh, well, we got to have father Malone. So just bring this guy on, have him say a couple lines and, and send him off stage. Right. You know? Yep. There's hardly in it, but they keep the theme about, you know, the leprosy colony and stuff like that. Well, yeah, like I think, God, sorry, because I, I, I want to talk about that. So the the major change that I was talking about before, we get these flashback sequences in this one that are way more elaborate than anything in the original. Like clearly, a lot of the budget was spent. Yeah, it looks like they burned a set that you know a, a good looking sort of ship set, and um, you've got like characters in the the period costumes and all that. And it is, it's a leper colony that's looking to live on this island, and they're going to pay off the town. Um, but in the original movie, so they they sort of lure them to their death. 
And all of the people who do this feel really, really bad about it because it's a horrible thing to do, obviously. But they steal from them and they murder them, essentially. But there's always this sort of guilt, and, and that is kind of what comes back, right? So when their ghosts come back in the original movie, it's like it's all this repressed guilt for this horrible thing that they did coming back, you know, the sins of the fathers. Somebody says that line, like, here's the theme of the movie, guys, in case you didn't catch it. In the remake, I mean. But here, like, we see a flashback of these town founders of Antonio Bay, and they, like, get on the ship and start murdering people, like, face-to-face, which is totally not what happens in the original. Like, the they're so much worse in this one. Like, they're so evil that it doesn't even make sense. It, did that strike you at all? Because that really... I mean, it's, it's the last 10 minutes of the movie we see this, but, um, you know, I, I liked the sort of moral gray areas in the first one where, yes, they did something horrible but they did it for a reason and they were just trying to to save the town and you know it's it's they deserve to be punished for it but in this movie like I don't think anybody gets what they deserve I mean it's they were way way worse in the remake and I don't know why what's your question <laughs> like, well d- did that bother you at all I, I just that scene I thought was just so tasteless where they're on the ship with these people and you know like threatening them and shooting them and burning them like face to face throwing them overboard and shit and it's like no it's supposed to be like this really hard really horrible decision that they made and here it's like now nah, we're gonna rob these people and murder them all and we don't mind at all like they're they're they might as well be high-fiving over it in the remake make yeah like in the in the journal that uh father malone finds in the original it they're basically expressing like all their guilt for you know their crimes and what they did i mean they basically set up a trap um yeah and it's almost like they knew in the original like this is going to come back and bite us in the ass this one like the journal is there and that's kind of how it's expressed but then when you see the flashback it's like oh these guys didn't really care about what they were doing they seemed like really totally cool with just murdering people like right looking them in the eye and lighting them on fire yeah (laughs) right because i mean maybe that's part of the first movie i'm going deep here but like thematically like they never saw the people that they murdered so they come back as these like kind of shapeless ghosts where they're all just black silhouettes you know with glowing red eyes and uh, and that's what comes back and murders them here we actually see the ghosts uh, at a couple of points which i don't Mm -hmm. think is a, a good choice they don't look bad. I just don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Well, I agree with you there, too. At least that this movie has that going for it. Like, uh, CGI didn't bother me. I thought, uh, actually, where they shot this was beautiful. Some of the cinematography was really good, and some of the shots of, of the lighthouse in particular, I thought, were well done. Yeah. You know? Although you you don't get the the chase scene on the top of the lighthouse here, I was like I thought that was a no brainer. Like if you're gonna copy stuff from the original, like that scene where Adrian Barbeau is kind of fighting the ghosts off, they're climbing up the ladders, and it's just a really great. I, it's probably my favorite scene in the movie. And for some reason, of everything they did do, pretty much beat for beat, uh, that's not here. We get a, a car plunging into water, which according to the trivia, Selma Blair did her own stunts for that. Interesting. Yeah, I would say the only the only circumstances I would recommend watching this movie under would be to appreciate the original more, you know, because especially if you had seen if you somehow have seen this and not seen the original, because, you know, it's it's a generational thing too. those those, those people are out there. Um, 
watch John Carpenter's The Fog. (laughs) (laughs) Agree. Well, I mean, that's the thing about this one, right? Like, would anybody see this movie and be like, oh, that was so good, or there was something so interesting in that that I have to see the original? Like, okay, going back to another uh, ill-advised remake that turned out good, Evil Dead, uh, Fede Alvarez's Evil Dead remake, which is... Very different tonally from Sam Raimi's original, but kind of has the same story and the same concepts. And so if you were a young kid seeing his sort of very brutal, hardcore take on what Sam Raimi did, you'd probably want to go back and see the original. Like, where did this idea come from? And I feel like 2005's The Fog, nobody walked out of this movie thinking, oh man, is the video store still open? Because I really need to see John Carpenter's The Fog right now. (laughs) <laughs> they would have been impressed. I mean, I, I think they would have quickly learned that uh, that the original was better. But I don't know. Like, nothing stands out to me here. To like, like, I almost watch this and think, how could the original even be good if this is all it is, right? Which is the worst thing a remake can do. Yeah, and I, and I will say, as legendary as uh, JC is, I am surprised that there haven't been more of his movies remade. I'm sure that will change. I heard. Somewhere, I, I I mean, I know that they've been trying to get the Escape from New York remake off the ground for a while with Robert Rodriguez and, and uh, Lee Winnell, I think, was doing the screenplay or something. Yeah, and I've heard, like, rumors about The Thing getting another version. Uh, they Live, I've heard talk about a, a remake. But, yeah, the only two that were ever actually remade were The Fog and Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, yeah. well, Halloween, I always forget. Yeah, yeah. I mean, remade, but not exactly remade. I mean, it's like what what Rob Zombie did with Halloween is so different from the original that I, I almost don't really consider it a remake. It's like a, I don't know, a riff or or an inspired by more so than it is that, like like this is a remake. Like this is we've yeah. seen this movie and we're just gonna do a new version of this movie. I have such Rob Zombie's all his movies are are pretty polarizing, and I I find him. A fascinating uh, filmmaker because, like, the way I feel about his Halloween movies changes. You know, like, there's times when I watch them and I go, wow, this is really good. And then there's other times where they they really kind of annoy me, you know, and I can totally see why people don't see those as canon. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it, it Rob Zombie's going to do what he wants to do. Like, that first Halloween movie is, the you know, the first half of it pissed off a lot of people because it takes away the whole like mystique of the shape then humanizes him but the second half of that movie is sort of a remake of the original halloween yeah it's just a really brutal slasher movie yep and i like i remember for example before i was a fan of john carpenter even really aware of who he was I enjoyed rob zombie's halloween the first time i saw it because the sequels had gotten so bad in the franchise. <laughs> yeah. That it was it was nice to see a Halloween movie that was bloody and brutal and you know Michael Myers this 7 foot tall scary thing again. You know what I mean? Like those were the 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 properties of that movie that I appreciated, but I've revisited it a few times and I'm still just completely like I don't it's strange. Just I don't know. I don't want to say on the fence about it, but uh I can see where both sides are coming from, basically, the fans and the not fans. Well, I think that's fair, and it's like I was saying before. I mean, that's such a distinctive movie, right? Like, you look at at Rob Zombie's Halloween, and it 
it just jumps out at you as a Rob Zombie movie, you know? Like, it is very much in his head, and it's very much his vision. So maybe you hate what he does, maybe you just don't like his style at all, but... I don't know, like, I can't see something like The Fog that's just sort of a, a, like I said, a check-the-boxes kind of remake. Like, there's nothing to hate about it. You can dislike it. You can say, I wasted my time on it. But you can't say that, like, you know, this is crazy. This violates all my memories of the original. I think a lot of people think that about Rob Zombie's movie. Like, Like you were saying, because he kind of explains Michael Myers, that takes something away. Whereas me, I mean, I... I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't know if I love or hate Rob Zombie's Halloween. I'm I'm interested by it, and I think there's interesting things in it. And it doesn't take away from the original for me because it's it's a totally different franchise. You know, he's got his Michael Myers. John Carpenter has his Michael Myers, and they can both kind of coexist. I feel like, but I mean, at least Rob Zombie's Halloween, like it's it's interesting enough where you could hate it. You could think it was the worst horror movie you've ever seen. This one, I, I don't know. It's not the worst anything. It's certainly not the best anything um it's not love it or hate it it's just like a. all right i saw it <laughs> it's, it's it's just the most normal movie ever and like i j- but i do find it amazing you know when you look at like what's it like four percent on rotten tomatoes or something it's like wow like i don't know i i I'd give it maybe a 25 or something i don't know <laughs> it's it's definitely uh I think definitely part of the hatred for this movie is attached to the fact that it's a remake of such a beloved classic and people just aren't going to have it. You know, it's like they're kind of going in with their arms crossed to begin with. But yeah, it's not good. I would have been interested to say, I mean, I do think there is a version of The Fog that someone could make that would be a really interesting remake of it. You know, if they take a completely different route with it or they, I don't know, they make it bloodier or they make it more of a... um, I mean, you could kind of go either way with the original, right? Like you could make it a more graphic sort of brutal movie or you could tone it down a little bit and make it almost like a, you know, a Stranger Things kind of thing, like more of a Spielbergian kind of horror movie. I mean, well, could... I mean, don't don't have the director of MC Hammer either. You know, I mean, get <laughs> get uh, get get someone hungry in there. That's, you know, get uh, get Mike Flanagan on it or get sure. Uh, Get 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 Ty West on that joint. You know what I'm saying? Like that would be. I would totally watch Mike Flanagan's The Fog. It'd be super atmospheric. I mean, that he would really sort of. I mean, his his sort of greatest contribution to horror, I think, is the character work and the the relationships. And you know, it would be really cool to sort of see a version of this that really does focus on that. I do. So we haven't talked yet about Selma Blair, and I just kind of wanted to mention. I really like her. I mean, she's a, a great great actress. Unfortunately, um, she has MS and. Uh, and came out a few years ago and announced that. And I don't think she's going to be doing a lot more acting. It's affected her speech and her movement and things like that. And I think it's really sad because I always was a big fan of hers. And she's good in this movie. I mean, she really is is giving it her all. But, like, Adrienne Barbeau already did this and kind of already did everything. It's like... You know, she doesn't take the character in any kind of new direction because she doesn't really get to be like, what did you think of Selma Blair in this movie? I felt like she was trying to imitate Adrian Barbeau. Yeah, like, very much. Down to her, you know, inflections mm-hmm. and everything. And actually did a, a, a pretty good job. It's just, like I said, again, it's just hard for me to watch it with someone else. And, uh, you know, they probably could have had a, a a couple, maybe some cool cameos in there or something, you know, get Atkins in there playing somebody for a bit, you know, I mean, sure. 
Well, I mean, that just shows how little they cared, though. You know, it's like this wasn't really made for the fans. Like, there's nothing like a lot of remakes do that. Right. Even the shitty ones do that where, like, let's throw a bone to the people that care about this movie. And uh, and this one just like, I don't know, doesn't seem to be interested in doing that. I, I really do feel like it is made for just this young audience that like even the title, right? The Fog. So you had The Ring, you had The Grudge. It's another PG-13 horror movie like I feel like if you were a young kid seeing this, you probably wouldn't even know there was an original. Like, what makes this even stand out as a remake, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh... Like, it's just kind of chasing trends, and it wasn't a great trend, even though I think The Ring and The Grudge are great. I saw The Ring, like, a couple years ago for the first time since it came out. Yeah, and how did it hold man, up? Man, that holds up great. Really? Oh, the movie was scary as hell. I loved it. Interesting, like, because I think Gore Verbinski, who directed that, like, I think he came from kind of a similar background to uh, Rupert Wainwright, so came up through the music video. I mean, so many great directors have done that, like Ridley Scott. So that's not a death sentence for you as a, a commercial studio filmmaker. Oh, dude, but David Fincher's first David one Fincher, that comes absolutely. to mind. David Fincher, absolutely. Yeah, even better example. Because, you know, I, I guess the knock against somebody like that would be, well, it's just style over substance. You come from this world where you don't have to have characterizations because you're just making, like, a four-minute commercial for a song but you know you can learn that stuff like there's some great characters in Ridley Scott movies and in David Fincher movies like it doesn't necessarily have to be or you can go sort of hyper stylized you know and and I don't feel like this is even that like I'll bet Rupert Wainwright has done some cooler things just in music videos you know some things that were scarier or more shocking or more interesting to look at than anything he does in this movie yep yeah I, I would I would agree with that well, I mean that's that's pretty much all I've got on it. I mean, I, um, I I am very. We've expended happy. a lot of energy on this movie. We've talked about it more than anybody's probably talked about it in years. At, again, that's part of the uh, attributes of this this podcast that I I like is that we're doing, uh, you know, even the uh, side projects like this because in at the end of the day, I think they are revealing and uh, important. In, in the whole filmography of John Carpenter, as it were. And as we mentioned before, we are also going to be doing an episode on Assault on Precinct 13, the remake 2005 at some point, um, and also very shortly we'll be covering the Masters of Horror uh, short movies that John Carpenter did, which was a project put together by our, uh, our pal Mick Garris. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be all this stuff we're covering in the next few episodes is right in that uh, 2005, that year of 2005, uh, where, interestingly, some activity occurred uh, in the Carpenter world after a few years of uh, virtual (laughs) Recovering from from Ghosts of Mars. Recovering from Ghosts of Mars, right. And that's, uh, you know, I thought that was interesting, Nick, that just a few days after we had recorded the episode, there was actually an article published by The Guardian about why Ghosts of Mars doesn't suck. And I'm like, why did this come up out of nowhere randomly? <laughs> I thought it was a pretty good article. I haven't read it yet, but I did. I, I saw the headline, and I saw that you sent me the article, and I'm just sort of saving it. I don't know f- for what, but I'm going to read it soon. Well, but the, yeah, it, it is interesting that like all of his movies seem to get some kind of critical resurgence at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like a – this is what I think, right? And, and and you'll read a little bit about this in the guy's article. He's like, you know, John Carpenter went on a movie-making streak from 
the late 70s all the way through the 80s that few filmmakers are ever going to do. Like, I mean, he was just crushing it. Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, Starman, Big Tri- whatever. You know, it's just all great stuff for the most part. And then in the 90s, he just became commercially irrelevant. Yeah. And I, th- and I think that at the, the core of the guy's article is like, well, was it that John Carpenter just stopped making good movies? Or was it just that, like, that he just lost his audience? And I think that he makes a really good argument where he's like, John Carpenter doesn't make bad movies. His movies are all good. It's just that the, you know, the demographics changed. What audience, what audiences wanted as what was deemed commercial at the time, uh, it just changed, you know? And I think he's stayed kind of consistent with his, his vision, so... That's a really interesting point because I, I don't really see it that way, actually. I and mean, we are going to, like, eventually on this show, before we wrap things up entirely, we're going to do kind of some big picture assessments. But to me, it's it's more, I mean, it's certainly about audience taste changing, but I feel like audience taste change, studios pick up on that, and then studios basically tell John Carpenter, well, you can't have $80 million to make this movie. You can have $30 million to make this movie. Or we don't like this idea because it doesn't suit our trend or so we're gonna just change the whole sort of like i think that's his biggest problem in the 90s is that he's working for the studios and uh and the studios just don't see eye to eye with him ever maybe that is the same point but um i always feel like he just kind of got a raw deal from the the players in hollywood yep i agree and that's that's um yeah that's a conversation for we're gonna have to think about we could do a couple episodes on just doing kind of an overall career analysis sort of thing i don't know but for now we're going to get through these Masters of Horror short movies. We're going to get through these couple of remakes that occurred in the aughts. And, uh, yeah, as we approach his final full-length film to date, The Ward, 2010. Mm. Yes. Sorry, let's go back to The Fog yeah. for one second. Um, what, there's like a, a weird sort of, I don't know if I want to call it a twist, but um, what happens in the end of this movie? Like, what does Elizabeth actually do? Because it doesn't seem very clear to me. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just, dude, I, I literally saw this, like, an hour and a half ago, and I, I don't even remember what, like, like, <laughs> is she making out with the ghost? Is that what's happening? Yeah, but it's like she is uh, someone who exists now, and then this guy is her right. ancestor, and he she sort of takes the form of, like, her great-great-grandmother or something, but, like... That's kind of weird, right? Like, she stops this supernatural plague by basically, like, banging her great-grandfather? Uh, <laughs> dude, I, I mean, I guess? And then we see the photo of, like, her back in the 1800s, and it, it, it's Maggie that's it, Grace, that's obviously, it. That's in it. That's where the twist was. That's what they wanted to do to take the fog to the next level. They needed to inject some incest into the storyline. Ghost yep. incest. That yep. was it. Yeah. <laughs> That's how they sold the movie. So it's everything you love about the original The Fog, but with ghost incest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that that was the tagline on the poster. Now with ghost incest. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised, you know, but... Uh... I, I feel like it was just such the Shyamalan era oh, at the time. It's like, we got to have some kind of a twist. What do we got? I don't know. Ghost incest. Perfect. Put it in. Done. 
like I feel like this is a movie where every day at the end of shooting, everybody just kind of like went home, went out for drinks, didn't think about anything they did. It was just like punch the clock, go to work, come back, whatever. Yeah, I, I, I just I, I'm not trying to be comical about it, but from what from what I said from the very start, like the main thing going through my head when I was watching this was just what was the purpose? Like there was no purpose. And, you know, I could see, like, like, you mentioned The Evil Dead before. When that movie came out, I was pissed. I was like, I do not want to see someone try to remake my beloved Evil Dead movie. And I went to the theaters, and frankly, I was blown away by that movie. That was one of the scariest movies. Yeah, I was I, too. I had the exact same yeah. experience. So, you know, but when you see it, but but think about it. Why? Because that movie is, like, just the production value, the the, the scares, everything. I mean... And it cleverly is kind of like its own movie too. This is just a run run of the numbers. Um, it's like we're gonna we're gonna try to make it like the original, except not as good. And in two thousand five, I don't know. It's yep. That that's exactly what it is. It's the fog in two thousand five, and not as good. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on the DVD case. <laughs> All right. Well, sorry. Go ahead. It's two thousand five. There's fog, and. It's not as good. <laughs> but there's ghost yeah, there's incest. Anyway, we hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this movie. Uh, like Somebody had to discuss it. I, I feel like we just, uh, maybe we took a bullet for our listenership here. And I don't think anyone needs that. Like, this is the first movie we've talked about on this show. In any, like, Carpenter movies and other stuff that we've done. Stuff that he's written. Stuff that he's produced. Um, this is the first one where I would say, don't bother. Yep. Like, watch Memoirs of an Invisible Man if you have to watch something in the, the Carpenter sphere. Don't bother totally with this. Totally agree. But we we are interested in your thoughts, and maybe we're totally off on this one, but I don't know. Rotten Tomatoes seems to confirm our suspicions. Anyway, we'd love to hear from you about this movie or any movie in the Carpenter universe or whatever you want to talk about. Uh, if you'd like to reach us by email, we are at precinct13podcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at 13precinct, facebook.com slash 13precinct, and our website where you can download all of our episodes subscribe to the show find all the subscription links that is precinct13.simplecast.com we would really really appreciate a rating and review on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and if you know of anything else that is carpenter inspired that we should squeeze into the rotation here i mean this was uh, a bit of an outlier so we're definitely open-minded you know something uh, something that we haven't talked about yet we'd love to know what you think really appreciate all the uh, the comments and things on social media and emails and stuff like that so keep those coming and uh, our ghosts of mars episode uh, even more downloads than those two vampires ones i thought maybe we peaked with the vampires franchise but we did yes, not yes that's awesome we love that people are actually listening um we do put a lot of effort into the show and we're genuinely passionate about this stuff so the fact that anybody is out there listening um is amazing we watched 2005's the fog for you <laughs> yeah exactly and let me tell you <laughs> that takes tolerance that takes tolerance i missed 99 minutes of my daughter growing up to watch 2005's the fog yep. so you owe us no i'm kidding but definitely thank you for uh, for continuing to listen and to download the shows and uh, we will be back in a couple weeks to talk about cigarette burns 